0: Well, hi, everyone. You're so responsive. Lovely to see you. And uh, thank you for those of you online and appreciate you being with us today. Well, as uh, John said, Terry left us with a brilliant word on prayer uh, two weeks ago. I mean, I just found it absolutely inspiring. So this is really a great next step, very helpful. When I was at college, um, I had this roommate and we were talking Christianity quite a bit and one holiday he, he told me that he, he went into a bookshop and, um, and he picked up a Bible and it was a completely alien, it was completely alien to him, this book. He didn't know one end of the book from the other. I mean, he just didn't have a clue. And he's holding this book in his hand. So he's holding his Bible in his hand. And he's thinking, I don't even know where the Lord's Prayer is. So he then sort of throws this prayer up. The Lord's Prayer just throws it up. And, and then, then he opens the Bible. Matthew 6. It's the first time he's ever opened a Bible, Matthew 6. And it was, it, it was just, it was quite shocked by it. And I thought how gracious God is to just open that page for him. I mean, it certainly, it gave him food for thought, I can assure you. Now listen, I'm not advocating that you all do that. And you've, you find your way around your Bible yourself. You know, you get to know it for yourself. Don't keep opening the Bible and hoping that God will speak to you. Just, you know, get in it. Anyway, moving on. This prayer that we have read is probably, uh, must be the most well-known form of words or paragraph that you will ever read or have ever been spoken. So whether people, and that's whether people go to church or not. In one sense, that is a huge blessing because um, at the very least, it gives people a starting point for prayer. Now, I say that because most most people if not all, have at some time in their lives prayed. That's most people. Um, One survey, and it wasn't so long ago, and I was surprised actually, it said that 75% of people in this country prayed at least once a week. And and actually I think that probably has gone up because we live in a very feeling-orientated culture so, and I hear people, it's not unusual for me to hear people say they, you know, they, they prayed about something. And I know that they, they don't know God as we do, but they prayed. So, um, in one sense, prayer is pretty much universal. But as, as a blessing as this is, it's also a challenge. These words, words are so familiar that we don't notice them at all. I don't know if you... Some of you just went into rote, and those words came up, ding, 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 and some of you you, you did that. It's rather like the humming of a fridge in your kitchen. You sort of get used to it, and then it doesn't register anymore. And the challenge of this prayer is, you sort of get used to it, and you don't click into the wonder of this prayer. Now, the context of this day is that uh, every Jew would have prayed, of course, and they had things to pray, and they had uh, particular ways of praying, and Jesus' disciples prayed. But Jesus' prayer life is so noticeable that Luke records in his gospel that of all the things they asked of Jesus to teach them, and, you know, you could go healing, you could go, uh, you know, teaching, you could go... Demon possession—you're freeing people from demon possession. Whatever, all the things that he—they ask him to pr- teach them how to pray. So Jesus in Matthew says how not to pray first. So before we got to verses, you know, um, nine and seven and nine uh, before we got there, I don't actually—I lost my page. Oh yeah. So before we get to the Lord's prayer, he says to people, "This is how you're not to pray." Don't be like hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, to be seen by others. So, particularly religious people were doing this. They pray to be noticed. The focus of their prayer life is what other people will think of them. In other words, it's all for show. Now, Jesus said, when you pray, go into your room close the door and pray to your father my friends we're talking there's corporate prayer there's private prayer your prayer life your prayer life needs to be like an iceberg now I don't mean frozen it needs to be like an iceberg that there's more weight and there's more density and there's more you know Majesty underneath the surface than there is on top. You need a weight of your life in God. It's really, really important. You need a depth and a weight of your life in God underneath the surface. Secondly, how not to pray. Don't keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. In other words, there's a Christian way to pray and there's a pagan way to pray. And it's not that you can't have many words. It's that they use many words because they think that will help them be heard. What sort of God is that? So there's a pagan way to pray, a Christian way to pray. Prayer is not a recipe. It's not incantations. It's not formula or words merely to recite. This then, verse 9, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. This, then, is how you should pray. That's the content. How do I pray? This is how you pray. Our Father in heaven. So I want to make three points. One, we have a relationship with God. And this is about we receive from God. And we respond to God. So we're going to start with relationship. Our Father. And those are two of the most wonderful words you could ever speak. Our Father. I don't know if you ever thought about that. To call God... Almighty, sovereign God of the whole universe. And you get to call him our Father. I mean, that is absolutely mind-blowing. Our Father. Everything, Everything about your relationship is in those two words, our Father. It says everything. We're not mindlessly reciting words here. It's the week after Easter. And if you recall, when Mary meets Jesus on that resurrection morning, one of the first things he says to her is, tell my brothers, (laughs) go to my brothers and tell them, I'm returning to my father and your father. What a wonderful, what a wonderful, and your father. Christians, I, I believe if you can truly understand the significance of the word Our Father, it will radically affect your confidence and your freedom in how you approach God. You can't say those words without realizing that something has radically changed in your life. Martin Lloyd-Jones is a great preacher in Westminster Chapel in the last century. And he says this, no one can truly say, our Father, except those who know the Lord jesus christ are in christ and are in christ if that is true for you your position is sorted your position absolutely it's utterly changed it's sorted you're in christ nothing can change that you need to understand your position in christ if you have responded to jesus christ you're a son and daughter of the Almighty God. I mean, have you ever thought about that? That's so wonderful. It's that important. And he doesn't say, when you pray, start with Master, Sovereign Lord of the Universe. He doesn't say that. He says, say, oh, Father. Father, I think we can miss how outrageous this is. The question of sonship and fatherhood is a big issue with the Jews. But Jesus keeps doing this He says, he who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent me. Every time Jesus talked like this, he he speaks like, my Father father is always at his work. And then Peter says to him, you're the Christ. And he says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. I mean, Jesus is talking about such intimacy. It's absolutely unheard of. God is referred to in the Old Testament 14 times as Father. In this part of the Gospel of Matthew, is a longer part, is a Sermon on the Mount, he uses the word Father 17 times. In other words, please get it. Pray to your Father who's unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. This is so deeply personal. The Bible doesn't say every, everybody's a child of God. It makes a clear distinction. In speaking of Jesus in his gospel, John says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Christians, this is your birthright. It's for you. You belong. You're, you are in You are loved. You are family. That's such an amazing deal in the family of God. When our children left home um, and they had families of their own, they had homes of their own, I noticed that when they came back to our house, they walked through the front door and were very pleasant, said hi, and then walked into the kitchen. And then they opened the kitchen, the fridge door, and then they browse through the cupboard, I thought, they've still felt at home. This was home for them. I mean, they've got a fridge of their own, you do understand that, don't you? They've got cupboards of their own. I mean, they can go and have a little browse in there, but no, and this, is, this, is how, this, is, this is how they do. And then I've noticed, just lately, the grandchildren, just a couple of the grandchildren. Through the front door, into the kitchen, a little peek in the fridge, like father, like son. And then uh, the other day, as a, one of them was walking into the kitchen, I opened the fridge door for him. <laughs> I said, here, have a look. And, and do you know, I loved it. I just loved it. I thought, they feel at home. They feel at home. Do you feel that? Do you know that Christians? You belong. Father. Father. Oh, Father. You're reminding yourself whenever you say those words, who you belong to. The other thing you're doing, probably more importantly, it's what your father is like. It's crucial that you come to a true place of the character of God. So, Philip Yancey, in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, and because of his child, he writes this. He says, it made him think of a God who forgives, yes, but reluctantly, after making the penitent squirm, I imagine God is a distant thundering figure who prefers fear and respect to love this is this is his background, church background stuff and then John Piper is just an excellent author and bible teacher he says there is a fear that God is not the kind of God who really wants to be good to us that he is not generous and helpful and kind he was ba- basically is irked with us ill-disposed And angry. Look, if you are coming from that perspective, don't stop it. It's not true. The Bible tells us that Satan is the is the father of lies. If you're coming from that perspective, it's just a lie. Jesus said, Jesus said about the I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. That's this is what God looks like. Now I know that many people, there are many reasons why people have. Uh, Blockages with regards to fathers. I, I understand that. Some grew up with fathers that were uninterested, inept. Some fathers walked away. And there may be different reasons as to why that happened, never returned. Some even abusive. Some fathers themselves found themselves emotionally frozen, sort of a reflection of their own background. Do you know all our fathers are tainted all our fathers are tainted but that's not your blueprint Your genuine your genuine article of fatherhood is here here in the word of god this true authentic loving father is here jesus philip says to jesus show us the father and he said if you see me you've seen the father you want to know what the Father is like? Just saturate yourself in the Gospels and look at the life of Jesus again and again and again. This is what your Father is like. This is unconditional love for people. Now, I still remember this builder that we got into a conversation with a couple of years ago. Actually, it was really difficult to get a builder at that time. I mean, they were so busy. And we got into this conversation. He started telling us about the his... The adoption of his boy, this little boy, and he gets his wallet out of his back pocket, and he pulls the picture out, and he shows us the picture of his, of his adopted boy. And it's, he's so proud of it, and, it's, it's just, and he's full of it. He's absolutely full of it. And I'm standing there listening to him, and I'm thinking, this is what God is like. This is what God is like. He's full of it. Loves you. Just loves you. I hope you get it. Because if you don't, you miss it. He absolutely loves you. And it was just a wonderful, wonderful moment. We've been adopted. There's not an ounce of reluctance on God's part. The Father's full of it. I think one of the songs we sang, if we talked about um, uh, the got in on our heart his his name is on our heart well you better believe it your name's on his your name's on his he's fully he's delighted that you found life in his son who died for your sins for you And, and it's not no reticence no regret it's the truth and then you can read in paul's letter second letter to corinthians he has this little bit of introduction and then he goes Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of mercies and God of all comfort. I love that. Mercies. It means divine compassion. You want to know what the Father is like for you? He's got this river. It's a river of divine compassion and love for you. Running right the way through his heart. It's an incessant river for you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Adoption means access and intimacy and security. One Christian writer says, it is the highest privilege to be in the family of God. And he loves it. So secondly, we receive from God. Notice it all starts with him. So prayer starts with him, our father. Just in case you say, he doesn't doesn't need my prayer. But I need to pray. That's the point. I'm always the receiver and he is always the giver. Prayer, Prayer changes me. Not him. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. But it changes me. I'm the beneficiary. I'm always the receiver. He's always the giver. And too often, I think, Christians, they think that in some way, they're repaying God's grace through prayer and going to church and reading their Bible and, and giving. You know, and, and somehow it's my duty. No, it's good for me. That's the point, it's good for me. These practices are good for me. They're for, they're for your benefit. If you're in Christ, listen, your position is forever changed. You're not gonna, Don't do the owing thing. Don't try and repay God. Your position is forever changed. It is a done deal. Full stop. But you do want to grow, surely. You do want to grow. Well, these, these practices help us grow my verse of the year now i know some people have a verse of the day i can't keep up with it i can't remember them all because there's 365 days in a year you know that don't you do you you're not sure there's 365 and i know it's a leap year 366 but i can't keep up with it all but i do have a verse of the year and, it, and god put it on my heart and it's that verse in, from ephesians and Paul does this he says the apostle Paul says I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation what for? that you might know him better I thought that's a great verse I want to know him better do you? I want to crow. do you? Do you think it's all done, finished? Now I want to grow. So keep pressing in in prayer. You know, when I'm disappointed with myself, I'm not going to back off. I'm still coming in. I'm coming in. I keep coming. And when I fall and fail, I'm still coming. I'm still going to come to my heavenly father. When I mess up, I've got to keep coming to my heavenly Father, and some some of us think, "Oh, I'm not worthy anymore." It's not about your worth; it's about what Jesus has done for you. Of course, you're worthy. He's made you worthy. Don't back off. And what furthermore, as we saw in in Luke 15, he doesn't wait for the 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 son, the wayward son, to arrive on his doorstep. He gets running. When he sees his boy coming, he's running. Keep coming, my friends, keep coming. Why? Why? Because he's the father of mercies. His mercy makes a heart that is hard, tender. And his mercy heals a broken heart. And his mercy frees a heart from the imprisonment and stranglehold of sin. <laughs> Breaks it. He's the father of mercies. <clears throat> Keep coming. Neil, you don't know what I'm like. I, you know, I, I'm just a walking disaster zone. I'm an absolute failure. You've not a clue what I'm like. Look, it's not about your life. It's about his. His love. His life proves his love for you. Not your life. In this um, book written by Dane Auckland, it's called Deeper, brilliant book. He writes this. In a 1948 letter to his congregation, the Scottish pastor William Still wrote, God never tires of giving. Even when we're not grateful, he gives and gives and gives again. Sometimes, when others have grieved him, as we think, we suppose that God will visit them and punish them and deal harshly with them. Instead, he lavishes more token of his love upon them. He gives and he gives and he gives. Keep coming, my friend. Get a picture, a bigger picture of your Father in heaven. I mean, too often we shrink his compassion. Too often we dilute his grace. Don't do He's rich in mercy. He's a billionaire times billionaire. I mean, he is rich in mercy. Ask for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. What for? So you might know him better. That's a great, that's a great verse to have, isn't it? And lastly, we respond to him. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We don't often hear that word in general conversation, do we? And in fact, the NIV has changed a number of words, but not this one. It's an old English word, it means sacred. It means ultimate. It is, in other words, hallowed be your name. Hallowed. It means absolutely sacred. Absolutely ultimate. In other words, he's first. You notice that, he's first and foremost in this prayer. How often do you come with needs first and then God's second? No, 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 Start with him, start with him. Prayer starts with him. So we, we give him praise and adoration. Now, when I became a Christian, just on names here, when I became a Christian, I would use the name of God and Jesus. I would use it as an, you know, as an expletive. A swear word, or an exclamation, but it all changed when I encountered the love and grace of God through Jesus Christ, and my Father so wonderful, and Jesus' name so beautiful. He immediately changed my language. I couldn't do. That. I couldn't. I just couldn't do that. I couldn't be so dismissive to use His name. Just any... I couldn't do it. Hallowed be your name. Adoration and praise is the inevitable response of knowing Christ. The Holy Spirit makes the truth of God real to us. Felt, experienced, enjoyed. Hence, by him we cry, the Holy Spirit, Abba, Father... It's one thing to hear the word he loves you. It's another thing to feel his love. The other week, I went off uh, for a walk to pray. I had my list. And uh, I had a list of things out. There's just a lot of lists here. I need to go and pray. And so I I went for this walk. And I thought, well, I'm going to be speaking on this subject, the Lord's Prayer. So I'll I'll start with, I'll I'll just do our Father, thing. I am walking father, our father. I got caught up with the, I just got caught up with the wonder of these two words. And the sheer privilege of being able to, to say them, our father. I never got round to, to all those pressing needs. My whole work, my whole walk was all about our father. I, I, it's not that the needs weren't urgent. It's not that they weren't important. You know, somehow in the worship and wonder of being able to come to God as my father, I just saturated my time with joy and thankfulness and gratitude. I was just full of it. Adoration and praise has that ability to change your perspective and focus. Is God really first in your prayer life? Or are your needs... There's a really good breakdown here in this prayer. And you know, it's no wonder. It's praise and adoration. Hallowed be your name. It's no wonder singing has been a hallmark of God's people through the centuries. Then sings my soul, my Savior, God to thee. How great thou art! How great thou art! Do you know, when we worship, we become part of this worshiping and praising community that has worshiped throughout all the ages, all of them. So Moses sings, Miriam sings, David sings, Deborah sings. They're all singing. If you've seen it, read them in your, in your Bible. They're just singing, they've got songs. Mary sings, Jesus and the di- disciples sing, Paul and Silas in prison sing. This is our heritage. In John's vision, the angels are singing, holy, holy, holy. We're joining all this. This is who we're a part of. We're a worshipping people. We all declare, hallowed be your name. Amen? Amen. Hallowed be your name. How wonderful. It's a family response. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You know, the reason we can do this, my friends, is Jesus has made it all possible. On the cross, Jesus cries, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? There's no mention of the Father. That's the first time you will it. And God, no mention of the Father, why have you forsaken me? Now, Father comes in later, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. But at this moment, the sin of the whole world sits on him. And I don't, I don't know how we can ever imagine it except that he must have been the most grotesque person ever to have all of our sin on him. It says the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He experienced the forsakenness of the Father. So that you, and you, and you and I, we wouldn't be forsaken. So that we might belong. So that we might be part of his family. Joining with all God's people. The privilege of praising and adoring him. Hallowed be your name. Amen? Amen. That's a great blessing. Thank you people.